When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the one to come, or should we look for another? John saying, I'm not sure if you're the one. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who can see this and not reject me. And they went away. And Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Malachi 3.1 Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the, violence take it, the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear this. And so here is Jesus evaluating the situation after John evaluated him and saying, let me step back and explain what is going on. This is John the Baptist, the man who was out in the wilderness. He's screaming at the top of his lungs. He's calling everybody everywhere to repent of their sins immediately for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is going to drop in like a B-52 bomber and just put this whole shenanigan thing to rest. This whole thing called the human experiment. And he is going to end it all. And he is going to bring in his perfect kingdom from heaven. And the righteous will live and the wicked will die. And it will be it. And so he says, pass through the water. Come into the Jordan. Be baptized. A baptism of repentance. Prepare your hearts because the kingdom of heaven is coming. And many Thousands, hundreds, various regions flocked to John. They heard him preaching. They responded in a great way. And everyone was noticing, this man is a prophet. This man is drawing people. This man is saying something. And then Jesus responds and says, you're right. He is a prophet. In fact, he is the greatest of all prophets. There has never risen a prophet like John. But here's the disconnect. John is confused about Jesus, particularly at this moment, particularly as John's in prison. So as we've been looking, if you were here last week or through the previous sermon series, we've seen how the dragon works. We understand his ways in this world. We know one thing, that the kingdom of God is at war with the kingdom of men. 
There is a cosmic war. It has begun in the garden. It will end in the final city in which there will be a new Jerusalem. But this war is cosmic. It, is, it, it, it translates across all areas or epochs of history. And this war was decisively won on the cross 2,000 years ago where the lamb, we're told in Revelation 12, went up and the dragon fell down. And as a result of the dragon coming down, he realized, we're told, his time on this earth was short. And therefore he inhabited these beasts of world powers and governments so that he might make war upon the people of God, upon the kingdom of God, that he is still fighting this war, yet not from the high ground he once possessed as the one who could accuse all of us for being the wretched sinners that we are. And that takes a lot of power out from under your feet. When Satan could always say a hundred thousand things about you and they would all be 100% true. It's very hard to fight that kind of war. It's kind of like uh, jiu-jitsu. When you fight somebody who knows how to wrestle really well, they'll just take your feet out from under you immediately. They're trained for that. They're good at that. You can't beat them. Like, you, it doesn't matter how good you are boxing. If they take your feet out from under you, you're done. Right? That's, this is Satan's warfare. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is the old snake. The serpent of old. And he was constantly accusing and accusing and accusing. And then Jesus presents his own resurrected body in the likeness of you and me. A real man like you and I presents his own righteousness and glory on his throne. And the accusations all stop immediately. And Satan is cast down. Yet here, none of that is clear for John. John the Baptist, that is, here as he's in prison trying to make sense of what's going on. This casting down of Satan and the enthronement of Jesus Christ is the high ground. This is the decisive battle that needs to be won. This ancient uh, text from 500 uh, BC, you've heard of the Sun Tzu art of war. It says, he who occupies the high ground will fight to his advantage. Pretty common sense. I mean, my version of that was being a kid playing king of the hill. I mean, if you haven't done that, I'm sorry. You've really missed out. That's, that's the American pie and playing king of the hill in the, someone's backyard that has a big hill. Uh, that's, that's being American, I think. Um, but it's the game where kids try to get on top of the hill and you push anyone that's not on the top. And you see who can stay on the top of the hill the longest. And uh, usually it's the biggest kid that's, that really wants to win, you know. Um, and that's really the high ground, right? That's what Jesus did. He took the hill. He took the high point. He went up to the right hand of the Ancient of Days and sat down in his heavenly throne, in the high Zion. And from there, he is able to command warfare. It's, it's, it's why America is so decisively powerful in war. It's because of our air. It's because of our controlling the air. It's because of our air force. We, have, we, we don't have to send in all the tanks and the troops and the boots. We can just send in an aircraft carrier into some region of the ocean and we control that region entirely. Right? That, that is the decisive thing that happened with Jesus. He rose, he came to the high point, and from there he has a spiritual authority that cannot be matched. And from that position we still are skirmishing in this war. Now John knows none of this. Everything I told you was absolute mystery only a few thousand years ago. This is not at all what was even clear to some of the greatest prophets and even the greatest, John. 
Here we're told at the end of the gospel where Jesus had finished his work in Luke 24 and he says, Behold, I am sending the promise of the Father to be upon you. Stay in the city and you will be clothed with power from on high. He led them as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted and he was carried up to heaven and they worshipped him. Jesus ascended to heaven and he said, now you stay here, stay here. And shortly from now, I will clothe you with power from on high. That was the deciding factor. That was the difference of all of this. Now John the Baptist knows nothing. He has no idea that it was supposed to happen this way. The Holy Spirit will come down and change the warfare that we fight. This present problem for John is this. He is living in seeming defeat. He is in prison and he hears about the deeds of the Messiah and he sends his disciples to go ask Jesus, what is going on? Are you really the true Messiah? Because we'll learn later in the Gospel of Matthew why John is in prison. He preached against uh, Herod uh, Antipas and he told him that his wife at the time, Herodias, who was also his cousin, who is also the previous wife as his brother, it's complicated, that you can't do that as if you needed the memo. You can't do that. That's weird. That's really weird. Well, when you tell a king that, he gets angry. And so, John's in prison. And as soon, we'll have his head separated from his body. Because he preached that gospel. He preached the true gospel of God. The law of God, which precedes the actual gospel of God. And John's baffled by this. Why? Because he thinks the kingdom of heaven is here now. It will come very soon, very quickly. This is going to end very well for me. And he's in prison thinking this is not going very well for me at all. What is going on, Jesus? Are you really the Messiah? And Jesus' answer to him is this. Go and tell John what you see and hear. And this is the point we'll get into. I hope to demonstrate from here why Jesus said this. He said, go and tell what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them. That is, the blind, the lame, the lepers, the deaf, the poor. Some are healed. But it ends remarkably by saying, but the poor have the good news, the gospel, preached to them. And this is supposed to explain all of John's dilemma. Because everything that Jesus said there connects with the prophecy of Isaiah on who the Messiah should be. This is what the Messiah should be doing. Now I'm going to try my best to be John the Baptist today. I'm not going to wear goat's hair or eat locusts. But I want to try to be John in prison. A man who knows the word of God. A man who knows who the Messiah should be. Jesus said the dead will be raised up. Isaiah 26 is what he's referring to. Your dead shall live. 
their bodies shall rise. Those who dwell in the dust shall wake to joy. Those who dwell will have the dew of light upon them. The earth will give birth to the dead. There will be a resurrection. And Jesus says, don't you know the dead are being raised? I ha-. And Jesus did raise dead bodies. And then John the Baptist in prison, if this was an email perhaps, could respond to say, yes, but keep reading the text. And you look back down, Isaiah 26, 18, 19, resurrection. Isaiah 26, 21, two more verses later. The Lord is coming from his place. He will punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. Oh, so he's going to raise the dead, but he's also going to punish all the inhabitants of the earth for their sin. And John's like, where do we get to that part? Okay, I'm over here in the prison, and I know Isaiah... Jesus said the deaf will hear. Later on in Isaiah, a couple chapters later, Isaiah 29. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. Out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy from the Lord. And the poor shall exalt in the Holy One who is their God. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm doing this, John. I'm doing Isaiah's words. I am the Messiah. And then John leans in and says, yes, but... Could you just keep reading the next verse? And you look down. Isaiah 29, 20. The ruthless shall come to nothing, and scoffers shall cease. All who watch to do evil will be cut off. And John's like, are we going to do that part too? Because right now I'm in prison with an adulterer who likes his cousin and all these other things, and would have been a good thing for me not to be in prison because I thought the kingdom was coming and we were going to deal with all these problems. And then Jesus says the poor will have the good news preached to them. Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, this messenger that was to come. The Lord anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And if this is not the most ironic To open the prison of all those who are bound. While John's in prison, we're going to do that verse too? Proclaim liberty to God's favor. And then John says, that's great. The messenger's going to come and proclaim liberty and the favorable year of the Lord. Isaiah 61, 1. But what John's saying here is, Can we read Isaiah 61 too? Literally the next verse says, He'll proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance. Are we going to get to that part? I've been baptizing people in the Jordan for a while now. For that moment, the day of vengeance, are you really the one to come or should we wait for another? Where is the day of the Lord? Where is God's judgment in which he will finally put an end to all this sin and corruption and finally bring this whole thing to an end so that God will be truly glorified and the world will be put aright? Why am I in this prison? Why am I being persecuted this way? I preached for the kingdom that was to come and you're only bringing part of this kingdom in some miracles, some miracles in some part of the land with some people. And Jesus has said, Blessed is the one who's not offended by me right now. Because if you're offended by me now, you really will miss the kingdom. 
you really will miss what I'm doing. John evaluates Jesus. And we infer from this that he's probably having doubts in prison, looking for a triumph and realizing that he's most likely going to die there. And Jesus turns then after John evaluated him and he begins to evaluate John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see, he says, a reed shaken by wind? What did you go out to see, a man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. Then he pushes the question once more. What did you go out to see? Why were you going to John's preaching? Was he a prophet? Yes, I tell you, he's more than a prophet. Those who came to him were coming to the man of Malachi 1. 3 1. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. That is, Malachi 3 1 prophesied that there would be a messenger before the messenger. There is in the scriptures the messenger of the covenant, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the messenger of the covenant. And there will be a messenger before him who will roll out the red carpet, present his coming with fanfare and trumpets to say, here he is, this is the one. And Jesus is saying, I am that true messenger, I am that true Messiah, and John is that guy. He's the guy that rolled out the carpet for me. He is the guy mentioned in Malachi. He is this prophet. And then... The irony of all of this is when you look at what Jesus quoted from Malachi 3.1. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to pretend. I'm John before you today. Right? And John says, okay, so if I'm that guy, could we read the next verse again? It, again, Malachi 3.2. The point where Jesus stopped quoting. Isn't that, a, that's offensive. You stop, why aren't you reading the rest of the verse? But who can adore the day of his coming and stand when he appears? He will be like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will purify the priesthood. He'll bring judgment on all who swear, swear falsely, oppress the poor. And the last one, he'll bring judgment on adulterers. What? So I'm in prison for preaching against adultery. And I'm the messenger that's presenting the way for the guy who's supposed to judge adulterers. And you're telling me you're not going to read the rest of the verse? I'm trying to put you in this world, right? If you were a first century Jew, this is a problem for you. This is a problem for you. Especially if you're in prison. It's a personal problem now. this Christ who is this man are you the one to come or should we wait for another around the time Jesus was born there was a man named Simon of Perea he gathered many people he was tall and strong and smart he declared himself to be king he wore a crown in the Jewish people's community he burnt down the royal palace in Jericho. He claimed himself to be the Messiah. They killed him, and everyone ran away. And Throgis, again, the same time, was a shepherd, a tall man. He was strong. He brought all his brothers together, and they fought against Rome. They killed him, and everyone ran away. Judas, the Galilean in 6 AD, 
Still, while Jesus was just a small boy, he was known as being the generator of a philosophy called the fourth philosophy, which was also called the Zealots. You hear about them in the Gospels, the Zealots. They liked fighting against Rome. They were extreme in their liberty. They viewed only God to be king. So they fought against Rome, and guess what? Judas, the Galilean, was killed, and everyone was following him, ran away. Simon bar Giora uh, was also a messianic movement later after Jesus. Everyone assembled. They tried to resist Rome. He was killed, and they ran away. If you strike the shepherd, the sheep run. Why are we here, then? Because what Jesus was doing was really not abnormal at all. That was the time to be a Messiah in the first century. Being a Messiah was pretty cool. It was the gig. It was the business. Everyone was trying to be the Messiah. They were reading all these Old Testament prophets, putting up the timelines and thinking, hmm, this is the time that the Messiah should come. But here we are today. And everybody's name that I just read to you, you probably never heard of before. But who hasn't heard of the carpenter's son? Jesus knows what he's doing. He wrote all those prophecies. John's perspective, Jesus corrects. Jesus explains that there is a new era. See, what he is doing in bringing in the kingdom for us today is a kingdom that is nothing like the kingdoms of this world. It is a new era of human existence. If you are born of the Spirit today, you never die. The second death has nothing on you, right? This isn't just a a movement. This isn't just statism or nationalism. This is an ontological transformation of your present reality. Among those born of women, he said, there has arisen no one greater than John. And a lot of people have been born, born of women, I might add. Studies show. Yet, yet, least, those who are least in this present kingdom are greater than he. That is a cosmic shift. What Jesus is saying is that John is the greatest of all the prophets. He was not only a prophet, he was a prophet who had prophecies about him coming. And no one was greater than John. Yet he who is the shortest midget in the new kingdom to come stands shoulders over him. Who is least in the kingdom to come, the kingdom of heaven, is greater than he. You might never have heard of the name uh, Brian Scalabrini. I mean, I literally had to read it off the paper again, and these are my notes. He's a professional NBA basketball player. How didn't you know that? Well, there's lots of NBA basketball players. Now, if I say Michael Jordan, if I say Kobe Bryant, if I say LeBron James, probably heard that name. Brian Scalabrini averaged three. points a game for his career. Okay? He was in the NBA for 11 years. He actually won 
a championship. No one knows who he is. He's 40-some years old now and retired. And the only reason I know about him and why you have to hear about him right now is because there is a sports TV show where people who thought they were really good basketball players challenged him to one-on-one. And it was on the internet and everyone was saying, oh, I could probably beat him. I mean, he's not like the best player ever. You know, he's just Brian, how do you say his name, Scalabrini? Well, what's amazing about the show is he destroyed everybody that he played. Like, I mean, maybe one person got one point. It was like 11 to 0. They played to 11. He beat everybody he played. Like, not e- like almost embarrassing. And these are like co- former D1 college players, young guys that can jump and they're not old. And like, he's, he's mind, as he's playing one-on-one, he's 40-some years old, out of shape and retired. And he is brutalizing them. Like, it's embarrassing. Right? Let that sink in. You think you're good at basketball, right? One of the lower, the lowest of the lowest of NBA, like just completely destroyed. Do you see what Jesus said? He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is already, already at a place that John could never have arrived. Something has changed. You and I are different. When Jesus went up there and he said, now you wait I'm going to do two things. I'm going to throw the snake out, and I'm also going to pour out my spirit. We still mark our human history as B.C. and A.D. Because this was the decisive moment of everything. Except some things still haven't changed in this era. And this was John's confusion. This new kingdom also has similarities. He says, the kingdom of heaven advances through violence. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the days of the old prophets to the present, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent try to take it by force. That is, John, you're in prison because this is the way it has to go. This is how it works. Since the days of John the Baptist, all the prophets of old have been stoned and killed and persecuted. Anyone who speaks on behalf of God is speaking against the dragon. And the dragon has servants. And these servants do evil things. And they will let you, you could talk about anything, but if you talk about Jesus Christ and his lordship, that is where it gets weird. People start cutting you out, persecuting you, dividing from you, and in certain Places in human history, stoning you, killing you, imprisoning you, and cutting your head off. And Jesus is saying, from the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven has always been suffering this violence. And violent men are always trying to grab it. They're trying to grab the kingdom of God. Trying to snuff it out. Trying to treat it like any other kingdom in the world. But this is the surprise. This is what John was not able to see. He is to be surprised by the spirit of God. That is, you can't grab this one. 
The thing that Jesus is seeking to do, what he's trying to do differently, that no, John would be just persecuted, and Jesus just told his disciples in Matthew 10 that he sends them as sheep among wolves, that he's not intend to bring peace, but a sword into the world, saying there will be bitter hostility and resistance to the true preaching of the gospel, and Jesus himself will inaugurate that by his own flogging and crucifixion. So this is the way it has to go. This is a thing John did not see. That this is the actual coming of the kingdom. That all the ideas of God's judgment and him removing all sinners and having perfect righteousness. That comes but only comes through this suffering. Because there is a period or a thing or an idea that is called the pouring out of God's spirit from a resurrected height as a one incarnate man, perfectly righteous, glowing as the sun, is able to command his people to be filled by his spirit in a way that has never been done before, in a way that puts us at a whole other level that even the most godly and sincere saints of old had not any ability to access this type of power and holiness and transformative spirit from God. This is what John was not able to see. For Daniel 7 is the one that says that there will be a man who rides on the clouds. He will come up as the Ancient of Days to be presented before him. And then from that point he will be given dominion and a kingdom and a glory. And all peoples, nations, and languages will serve him. And his dominion will have no end. And it will be an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom cannot be destroyed. The reason the kingdom of heaven can suffer violence and John can be persecuted and Jesus can be crucified and Christians everywhere can advance through this violent domain of the darkness of Satan is because our kingdom is empowered by the Spirit of God. Paul said, when I fight, I don't fight as someone beating the air. 1 Corinthians 9 he says, I'd rather fight a real enemy. I'd rather do the right thing to fight. See, Boxers shadow box, they box in the air, they work on their speed, but the way it works is that the shadow always wins when you're shadow boxing. Eventually, your arms are going to get tired, and you can box all you want, you can work on your routine, you can work on your speed, but then at the end of the day, you're never really going to hit anything, and you're always going to tire out. Jesus knows what he's doing. He has changed the whole method of war so that we would be greater than John the Baptist given the Spirit of God. We are fighting a spiritual battle. And here, as we close, are the reasons why. Why would it be said that you and I are greater than all of the old prophets who have done miracles, called down fire from heaven, shut the mouths of lions, preached the whole kingdoms, converted a city of Nineveh. How are you and I greater than that? They weren't able to do anything like you and I could. This is not simple speech. This is true. Jesus means what he's saying. We have been given the Spirit of God. The Son of Man went up and the Spirit came down. And we are born of a new city. There is a city that is above. I, uh, Psalm 48 speaks about the Zion in the north. That is the heavenly Zion. There is a Zion down here and there is a Zion up there. And Galatians 4.6 says that Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. Right? There is a spirit that came from the throne of God. From the city of God. 
from Jesus Christ himself that poured out from above and gave birth to us. Jesus says, don't you know you have to be born again? Anathothen is the word, born again. It equally means being born above. Do you not know you have to be born above? Don't you know in order to fight this war and actually be in this kingdom, you must be born from the Zion of the north, the Jerusalem that is above? She is our mother. She gave birth to us. We are from a different realm. We are from a different orientation. We are from a different world, a different city. We fight a different war. And the weapons of our warfare are superior. They are the airfare. There is no spears or javelins. These are the weapons of God. And so this is how we win. And this is why we, like any other nation, would be more superior in the modern age as opposed to some other nation in the Iron Age or in the Stone Age. Axes, axes and arrows. What is that compared to tanks and aircraft? See? It's not a matter of us being stronger than John, better than John, more virtuous or godly than John. We are simply equipped... We are equipped with superior methods of warfare. We have been given something that came from the throne room of heaven. That the Holy Spirit, the eternal spirit of God dwells inside of you. Lives inside of you. Illuminates your mind in a way that John could never have seen. Keeps you from sin in a way that no other person would have had in the old. You are new creature. You are made in holiness and likeness of God. We have been given a better prayer, a better mediator. Hebrews 7 says, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for the saints. There was a time and there was no one who always lived at the right hand of the Father, in the image of man like you and I, to speak our language, to bleed our blood, to intercede for our sins, to be tempted with our sins and know what they feel like, and know how to intercede for them, and bring them before the Father to say, pardon them, forgive them, look at my hands, Look at my feet. No, no time before was anyone ever able to approach God that way. The prayer that you have, the things that we pray and the things that we say are far superior. They transform nations. They bring down kingdoms. John could have never said these things or even prayed the way you and I pray to God. Worshipped in the way that we actually approach the Ancient of Days. The most holy word given to us is the gospel. John never could have spoken the gospel. All he was allowed to do was announce that the gospel was coming. All he could say is here is the guy that's going to tell us about the gospel of the kingdom. You and I get to preach the gospel of the kingdom. We actually get to say that there was a man named Jesus who actually bore your life and lived for you and died for you. He resurrected on the third day and rose to the height of heaven for you in perfect righteousness and glory. Repent of all your sins. Trust in him. He will fill you with your spirit. He will illuminate your mind and transform you from the inside out. And he will evidence his goodness to you every day. And he promises this by the power of his word if you will fall on your knees now. John could have never said that. He wouldn't have known to say that. He wouldn't have had any authority to say that. You and I, we could roll out of bed tomorrow. And preach that simple gospel. Even without a twinkle in your eye. Even without a personal conviction. Just say it. And what you've done. Romans 1.16 is the power of God for salvation. This kind of power was never had before. We actually are able to participate in this war. For the weapons of our warfare, we're told, are not carnal. 
They are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. They are against all rulers, all authorities, all cosmic powers, and all spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We have been given the breastplate of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes, the repairing of our gospel, the helmet of salvation, and lastly, the word, which is the sword of the spirit. And it is a sharp sword because Jesus has given us the spirit to back it up. So let's remember that and realize what we will do as we should be surprised by the spirit. As we close, I want to encourage you to consider in this sermon series what John could never have seen. Realize you have to trust Jesus Christ. You have been given a calling. You have a greater calling than the best of the Old Testament prophets. Like, reorient your mind to that. Like, reorient your mind, please. You have a greater commission, a greater calling, a greater ministry than the best, most prestigious, honorable prophet of old. Part of our problem is we do not understand who the Holy Spirit is. And we do not understand what he is capable of doing. So I pray that as we continue through this series, we would be surprised by the Holy Spirit and what he can accomplish through you and I if we would simply trust and obey. Dear Father God, Lord, we thank you for this, that you have given us your life and that this great gospel, this great salvation is ours. Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit and bring us under the complete control of your lordship. Lord, we ask that you would give us the mind to see what it is you have us to live in this life. Lord, show us how to love like you and to love the people around us and to love one another, that you'd be most glorified, even in the violence, even in our suffering, that your kingdom will prevail. For we have a warfare, we have a mechanism, we have your Holy Spirit that cannot be snuffed out. Though our bodies would be taken, your kingdom will not be altered. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.